Kyle Bryant, and I'm going to read our scripture for our passage in the sermon today, coming from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 22 from the New American Standard Version. It says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind is passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word now, may you give us ears to hear, eyes to see the beauty, the truth that would call our souls to rejoice, to be filled with gratitude, and to overflow with our hearts saying, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. May you work this in us for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What are you? How would you answer that question? What are you? You might answer a bit smart-alecky and say, I'm me. I'm a person that is called KJ, or Jeffrey, or Cassandra, or John. I am a person. Yes, but what is a person? What are you really? And here, there are two very different answers. Almost polar opposite answers. And the universe we live in looks very different based on which answer we believe. 
And the answer we choose to believe will shape the way we understand reality and how we see ourselves. One answer to the question, what are we, says this. Everything personal about you eventually reduces down to the impersonal. Everything personal reduces down to the impersonal. Everything that is you reduces down to a material cause. Your physical features reduce down to your genetic coding. Your consciousness reduces down to your level of brain activity. Your love for your child reduces down to certain chemistry and evolutionary conditioning. Your sense of humor reduces down to commonly traveled neuropathways in your brain. Everything personal about you, every bit of your personality eventually reduces down to the impersonal. In that case, what are you ultimately? Ultimately, you're nothing more than the accidental collision of atoms. You're a bunch of material arranged by a cosmic accident into something we call a person. You are a person, yes, but your personhood has come into history by chance as a material accident. And what comes into history as a material accident may go out of history the same way. Everything personal in the universe may just be a wave upon the shore, a wave that may end up having no lasting cosmic significance at all, any more than any other wave that spins itself out as it hits the shore. What are you? What are you then? One answer says everything personal about you eventually reduces to the impersonal. That's one answer. But there is another. Either we live in a universe where everything personal reduces to the impersonal, or we live in a universe where everything impersonal material included, originates in a person. Everything impersonal can be traced back to the mind and infinite imagination of a personal creator. The creator's personhood then becomes the source for our personhood. In this view of the universe, personhood isn't an accidental chance, but an intentional gift flowing down to us from God. Everything that is personal in the world flows downstream from a personal God. But also, the impersonal things we see around us in the world, from the single solitary molecule to the massive, ultra-massive stars, black hole, all of these also find their source in a person, in the personal, in the personal God who makes impersonal matter. From his person flow both the impersonal material of the world as well as personal beings like us made in his image. So, instead of us ultimately reducing down to something impersonal, to the impersonal carbon, of a rock, 
the rock itself might reduce down to something more personal than anyone today might think. Remember what Jesus said. He said, if these people kept silent, the very rocks would cry out. Is that a figure of speech? Or do the stones have a closer connection to the personal than science can observe? If everything, including stones and rocks, can be traced back to a person, then the world is not less wonderful and personable than we imagine. It is more. It is much more. I'll ask you, which universe do you want to live in? Which universe is it? A universe in which everything personal eventually reduces to the impersonal, or a universe in which everything, including impersonal material, is connected to a person, connected to the personal. I think I know which universe I'm drawn to. I think I know which one you want to live in. But which understanding of the universe is true? Which is true? Even if you came in here this morning as a firm believer in science, having all the answers, believing everything can ultimately be reduced to a material cause, I bet you struggle to believe that about yourself. I bet you believe that your love for your child or for your parents or for your pet is something more than mere brain chemistry. I bet you believe that love is more than your hormonal production or dopamine hits. I bet you believe it's more. I bet you intuit that your sense of justice can't be reduced to neurons firing in your brain or evolutionary conditioning. Maybe one of the reasons you're here today is that deep down you know that there is something more. Or at least you know deep down that you cannot live consistently with this belief that everything personal ultimately reduces down to the impersonal. You know that you regularly have to cheat in order to believe in things like love and justice and purpose and equality. Those things don't exist in a purely material world. And because everything in you says that these things are real, they must be real, you know that there must be more to life than just the material side. But what is it? What makes me more than the sum of my material parts? Psalm 103 tells us. Psalm 103, the end of Psalm 103 gives us the answer. We're coming to the end of our summer in the Psalms, and we're coming to the end of Psalm 103. We're picking up where we left off last Sunday in verse 14. And this is the fourth and final message on this fabulous psalm, I'm, I'm glad to say. Uh, if you're one of those strange people who's been taking notes every week through all four sermons, bless you. I try to make it easy for you, but I know I often don't. If you're one of those people, you'll want to know that we're just continuing to grow our list that we began back in verse 2. Verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, 
Everything since verse 2 has been a long-running list of things we are not to forget. There are benefits that we are to be continually mindful of. I'm not going to recount them all because in the verse, first 13 verses, we saw 13 different things, 13 different truths we're not to forget. 13, 13 truths we're to be mindful of. We're picking back up with number 14 in verse 14. Immediately in verse 14, we encounter this truth. We are to be mindful of our present state. Be mindful of our present state. Look at verse 14. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. What are we? Verse 14 says, we are but dust. There is a material element to us. In no way am I or the Bible denying the material. There are atoms here that were once dirt. There are some. There are atoms here that are as old as any other atoms in the universe, as old as the universe itself. In a real sense, the material that makes us up is as old as dirt. You are as old as dirt. (laughs) The Bible doesn't deny any of that material reality. Far from it. The Bible calls us to remember it, to embrace it, to embrace the fact that my frame is reducible to dust. On this much, on this much, the Bible scholar and the evolutionary biologist agree. I reduce to dust. But then, the Bible does something the biologist can't. The Bible proceeds to leave the biologist in the dirt because the Bible takes the next important step. It takes the best bit of materialism, the bit that should humble me most. I am but dust. I am a child of the earth and dirt. The Bible takes the best bit of the natural material reality and then it weds it to the supernatural. I am dust, but I am dust that has been kissed by heaven. That's who we are. Genesis says that God formed man out of the dust from natural, earthly material, but then God's supernatural spirit breathed life into him. God's spirit that, who is above nature, who is supernatural, who is outside the universe's material framework, if the material universe is a closed box, then in this case, the box has been opened. Someone from outside the box breathed life into it. So, we are dust, but we are dust that has been kissed by heaven. The Bible story does something really remarkable here. It simultaneously humbles us, we are but dust, while at the same time exalts us. We are kissed by heaven. We've been made from the dirt but we've also been made in the image of God. 
We are children of the mud, but we are also children of God. What's your heart's response when you hear that? Even if you walked in this morning unconvinced that Christianity is true, doesn't something in your heart say yes to that? Yes to that unique combination of humbling and exalting. You innately feel that something in that dynamic just rings true. There is truth here that humbles me like I need to be humbled, but there is also truth here that exalts me to unexpected heights. There is the acknowledgement here of the material, natural world, but there is also the revealing of something beyond the material, the supernatural, something that makes sense of my heart's longings for love and compassion and justice, and ultimate meaning in life. This is a better answer to the question, what am I? I am dust, but I am dust kissed by God. My body is a jar of clay, an earthen vessel, but there is a treasure of great worth here. There is supernatural value given to us. We are children of dust, but God is our true father. As Darth Vader once said to Luke Skywalker, search your feelings. You know it to be true. God, not blind chance, is your real father. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. We are dust, Kissed by our creator. This is a truth that we're continually be mindful of. And it's not just us who are to be mindful of it. Verse 14 says that God himself is mindful of this. Verse 14, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. God knows what we are. He knows what we can take. He knows our frame. He knows the limits of our present state. And that's good news. That's good news because we can sometimes find ourselves in impossible situations. Situations where we can't fulfill all our obligations. We can't do all the good that's in our hearts. I want to help over here, but... My spouse's health is getting worse. I want to serve. I want to serve the church, but my illness, my or my mind is getting worse. In those moments, we need to remind ourselves. Number 1, we are but dust. And number 2, God knows it. We are but dust and God knows it. He knows our frame. He knows our limits. This doesn't mean, however, that God will never call us to live beyond ourselves and beyond the limits that we feel. The Bible is full of examples of God calling people to live beyond themselves, right? Joshua, blow your horn and make the walls of Jericho fall down. Gideon, you got too many men. Send more of them home before the battle. 
Peter, come on out. Walk to me on the water. Ezekiel, now I got some weird stuff for you, Ezekiel. I want you to lay on your side for 390 days as a sign to Israel. God often calls people to do things that they can't do within their natural limits and resources. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Why? So that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Right? It's to put on display God's power in our weakness, in our weak frame that is but dust. We are dust, but we are dust infused with the power of heaven. But even so, at the present, we do have limits, don't we? We do have limits, and God knows them. He is mindful of them. Here is one limit that we all have, verses 15 through 16. Verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind passes over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. Verse 15 and 16 call us to be mindful of our limited time. Be mindful of our limited time. Our days are like grass. They spring up for a season, and then they're gone. Our flourishing is like that of the flowers. They blossom for a short time, and then they're done. Unbeliever, particularly the young person here who's not a Christian yet, you may not feel today the brevity of life. You may not feel it today that life is short, but one day you will. One day you will look back on your life and say, it all passed so quickly. Where did I spend my time? Where did the years go? On that day, you will feel the truth of this, that man's days are like the grass, verse 15. They're like the flower of the field that flourishes and then it's done away with. When it finally clicks with you, that your time is limited, that life is short, will that realization fill you with regret or fill you with hope? Psalm 103's call to be mindful of our limited time isn't written here as a thing of dread, but as a grounding for our hope. This life is short. It is brief. It is but the cover and the title page of our story. The real story is yet to come. And it will be far more exciting than this present short story that we find ourselves in. This life is like the grass in the field when compared to heaven's continual feast, which is full of the most interesting people you will ever meet. Lynn has been reading her way through Dante's Divine Comedy, and she's finally made it through hell, y'all. And like a good wife, she's wanted me to share in her experience of the ninth layer of hell. <laughs> and one thing that struck us both is just how boring hell is. It's just boring. Hell and the devil are boring. There's a good quote to go along with that idea from a French philosopher, Simone Weil 
Weil is a, a Jewish lady who later became a Christian in life, and she said this. She said, imaginary evil is romantic and varied. Real evil is gloomy, monotonous, barren, and boring. That's, some, that's imaginary evil versus, imaginary, versus real evil. But imaginary good, imaginary good is boring. Real good is always new, marvelous, intoxicating. I share that with you because life is brief, y'all. Don't live it believing the lie that evil is romantic and varied when it is actually gloomy, barren, and boring. Don't believe the lie that the little bit of good we can do now will make for a boring life. Don't believe the lie that the supreme good of heaven that will come to us will be boring. Real good will always be new, marvelous, and intoxicating. Because life is brief, you can easily spend the entirety of it believing this lie about good and evil. You can absorb what you've seen on every cartoon you've ever seen. When the good and evil angel come out, what happens? The good one is always boring. The evil one is always fun, right? Don't believe the lie. That's the opposite of reality. The Bible says that's part of sin's deception. We're deceived if we don't see our time is limited and see that good is always vastly more marvelous and intoxicating than evil. I want to say one more thing before moving on from this point. One of the implications of our time being limited here is this. Of the great many good things there are to do in this life, God only intends for you to do a small, limited number of them. Of the great many good things there are to do, God only intends for you to do a small sampling of them. And it's good, not bad, if the good you do looks different from the people sitting around you. You don't have to make the same choices. If that truth hits home with you this morning, it can be really freeing. There are loads of good things to do that you can do. There are a lot of good ways you can spend your life loving and serving the Lord Jesus. God does not intend for you to do them all. Nor does he intend for us all to do, do it the same. Your lot could be living that idyllic life of an Oxford dawn like C.S. Lewis or Tolkien, changing, your, changing, changing people's lives through your pen. Or you could be a missionary in deep Africa, deep Asia, having, spending half of your time translating the Bible and the other half of your time fighting off infections. Or you could be a mother who spends her life raising her children and grandchildren to love Jesus and put their hope in God. Or you could be a single person who uses your home as a place of refuge for the poor and the marginalized to find strength and hope in a Savior. Or you could have a terminal illness and spend your days just trusting Jesus for the next day as you do battle to do all the things that everyone else takes for granted. Or you could have a child 
with a terminal illness. And the good you do is just daily acts of service. That You do it for the child, but you do it as unto the Lord. We don't get to choose our lot in many ways. We don't get to choose much of the good that we are meant to do. We can choose some, but we don't get to choose it all. God wouldn't want us to be overwhelmed by the choices, of, by the choice before us of what good to do. If you're one of those people who is easily overwhelmed by all the options in life, everything sounds good, you see value in every option, every possible good, it's almost paralyzing for you to make a choice, here's some good news. It doesn't matter what good thing you choose to do. It doesn't matter. If you can serve Jesus with your whole heart while doing it, it doesn't matter. You can serve him there without regret, whether that's on the stage or in politics or on the mission field or at home. You can't do it all. You can't do every good thing, but God doesn't intend for you to. He is mindful of your frame. He knows you are but dust. He knows your time here is limited. So be free and do the good that he has put in front of you. Also, be free from looking down your nose at others who are doing different good things than you are, who have made a different choice. We don't have to judge those who have chosen a different good to do in Jesus' name. Before their own master, they stand, and he is able to make them stand. Don't judge the servant of another because their master gave them a different work to do in his kingdom for his glory. We all don't have to do the same thing. We all can't do the same thing because life is short. Life is short, and with a limited time comes a limited number of good things that God intends for us to do. Let that fall on your heart this morning as good news. Let's see another bit of good news to be mindful of in verses 17 and 18. And because our time on earth is limited, the remaining points are going to come a lot faster from here to the end. Our time is brief in life. It's brief like the flowering grass, but, verse 17, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Verses 17 and 18 call us to be mindful of God's everlasting loyalty. Be mindful of God's everlasting loyalty. I should do a sermon at some point on the Hebrew word hased, which the, my Bible translates here as loving kindness. Really, a single English word does not capture this, this Hebrew word hased. So our translators usually give us several words stuck together, like loving kindness Steadfast love. One of the ideas included in the meaning of Hased is loyalty, the heart's loyalty and devotion. Psalm 103 says that our lives are short lived like the grass, but God's loyalty toward us is not short lived. His heart's loyalty does not fade or shift, it is from everlasting to everlasting. I want to quickly apply this to us simply by asking two questions. Number one, doesn't this run a bit contrary to what you expect? Doesn't this run just a little bit contrary to what you expect? 
do you really expect the God of the universe to say, my heart is everlastingly loyal to you? Insert your name. My heart is everlastingly loyal to you. We might expect it the other way around. Loyalty typically flows from the inferior to to the superior. But God says, I'm the king of kings. I'm the king of all things. And yet, my steadfast loyalty is with you. From everlasting to everlasting, I am loyal to you. We don't expect this kind of loyal affection to come our way. Especially from a God who knows everything about us. Doesn't this run a little contrary, a little against what you expect? Question number one. But question number two, isn't this what you want most? (laughs) It runs against what you expect, but isn't this what your heart really wants most? You may not have known it. You may not have articulated it this way, but isn't this what you want most? God's unwavering, loving loyalty fixed on you. That's exactly what Psalm 103 says you have. And it would radically change the way you navigate life if you were mindful of that all the time. God's loyalty, his heart's loyalty is set upon you. Live like it. Live like it. Here's another truth that ought to change the way you navigate life. Verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. In verse 19, we are called to be mindful of God's sovereignty over all. God's sovereignty over all. As brief as I can put it, what is God's sovereignty? You believe in the sovereignty of God if you embrace the full understanding of just one simple statement. You know what it is? One simple statement, God is in control. Do you believe that? God is in control. When we say God is sovereign, all we mean is God is in control. What is God in control of? Well, what does verse 19 say? He says, his sovereignty rules over all, all, all. Once upon a time, We took a whole Sunday just to look at God's sovereignty. Do you remember that? Whole Sunday, just looking at God's sovereignty, and we examined what the Bible means when it says all. God causes all things to work together for the good, Romans 8, 28. God works all things after the counsel of his will, Ephesians 1, 11. We examined why the Bible always seems to use this word all when it talks about what God's in control of. If you were here then, We went down the line asking ourselves, well, does all include this? And then found examples of God controlling that thing in the Bible. Does God's control over all things extend to the good things? Of course it does. Does it extend to the bad things? What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. Does it extend to neutral things, to random things? The dice is cast in the lap, but its every decision comes from the Lord. Does it extend to the free choices made by moral agents like us? Pharaoh, what would he say? Right, we we examined all these things. Does it extend even to salvation? I'm not here to re-preach that sermon. If you missed it, well, I guess God's in control of that too. (laughs) 
So I'm not bothered. I'm not worried. I don't have the time to re-preach God's sovereignty over all things this morning. I just want to ask your heart this. Wouldn't you be better off if you really believed it? Wouldn't you be less frustrated if you believed God was in control? Uh, Working for good in this bad situation you're going through. Wouldn't you be more at peace if you really believed God's sovereignty extended over every area of your life? Wouldn't you be less controlling and manipulative if you believed that God's got it all under control so I don't have to? Wouldn't you be happier trusting him with the keys to your life? Wouldn't you be less frustrated when you lose your keys in life if you believed God was in control? Isn't it better to say, I don't know why God is making me walk through this, but I'm going to embrace the adventure he sets before me with good courage and a trusting heart. You'd be much happier if you lived like there really is a king on his throne and he knows what he's doing. Final point time. The last one sums up all the rest. If we're mindful of all these things, all these great truths, Where does it take us in the end? What's the end goal? Here it is. It is for us to join the course with the rest of creation in blessing our creator. Look at verses 20 through 22. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his host, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, In all places of his dominion, which is everywhere, bless the Lord, O my soul. Final point, and the summary application is this. Let's hear the call to join in creation's chorus. Join in creation's chorus. This psalm begins with the call to bless the Lord, and it ends with the call to bless the Lord. We're called to join with the rest of creation, all the works of his hands in blessing our maker. We're called to unite our lives with the great chorus. We're invited, you and I, we're invited to join in the great dance that the rest of God's work is doing. Living for the glory of our creator is a work, it's a, it's a song, it's a dance that isn't boring or monotonous. It is always new, marvelous, and intoxicating. You're called to join in with the music of heaven, and you get to start practicing now. You're called to join in the great dance of creation. You've already missed a lot of steps, but guess what? The director's heart is with you. He wants you in this play. He wants you in this performance. He knows your frame. He's mindful that you are but dust. He knows you've limited time to practice and limited experience dancing, and yet he calls you to join in. He calls you to join in. As dust kissed by heaven, he calls you to join in the chorus. Join in today by letting your heart be filled with gratitude and overflow with blessing the Lord. Join in by living out of the abundance 
of his goodness and blessing that he showers on you continually. Join in by living a life mindful of all of his benefits. When you do, you'll find your voice in this chorus. You'll find your place in this dance. And you'll find the real and best answer to the question, what are you? Father, I pray that every heart here would find their place in the story, their part in the dance, their voice in the chorus, that all creation is singing (laughs) too loudly for us to hear. Lord, may we find our place by faith in the Lord Jesus. May we come to know him, love him, enjoy him as a savior who is mindful of our frame. He knows we are but dust, but he says to us, come, be yoked to me and discover my burden is light. You will find rest for your souls in me. I am gentle and humble in heart. May we yoke ourselves to the humble king by faith and find in him strength to meet every obstacle, every hurdle that comes our way. May we walk with him through the fire and find that he has been good all the way. Lord, we thank you that we serve such a Savior. May every heart here be responding in faith as we uh, sing a song of response now. May that be our heart before you. In Jesus' name, amen.